Impact, Income, and Influence. Welcome back to Grow Your Impact, Income, and Influence, the number one show helping you reach millions, millions in your bank account, millions of people online. Whatever your dream is, we are here to help you support that dream. Today, I have a really special guest for you. We are going to talk about the impact side of impact, income, and influence on how you impact yourself. We're going to be talking about meditation, deepening your practice, where to start if you don't know where to start. I have an expert who has uncovered what he says is something all of his clients come to him and say that it has really made a difference in their meditation practice. He used to be a tennis pro. He wrote a book Tennis and the Art of Zen. Tennis Zen? I'm getting that wrong. He's going to correct me. Zen and the Art of Tennis? So, uh, no, no. The, the, the titles of my book are The Magic of the Soul okay. and uh, Meditation, The Simple and Practical Way. Um, no, I was saying earlier that uh, Zen, Zen Tennis is a practice that I, uh, a meditation practice I created when I was a tennis pro to help people to be in a meditative state or in the zone, as we call it in sports, while they're playing the sport. Well, that's where it started. But since then, like you mentioned, you have The Magic of the Soul, which is your newer book, um, and you've been helping people, you've been coaching them for over 20 years on meditation. So like you stated, this started kind of with tennis, but evolved into something much bigger. So tell me kind of some of the things that you learned and how you grew from being a tennis pro to where you are today. Yeah. So, um, I started meditating when I was 18 years old and, um, and then, uh, became a tennis pro, uh, shortly after that, a teaching pro. And, um, and so I was teaching people how to play the sport and, and also sharing with them visualization techniques using, um, uh, the inner game, um, uh, you know, that, that system as well. And I created my own system called Zen tennis, which is where I guide people into a meditative state while playing tennis. And, uh, it's, it's a cool experience because when you get into that, into the zone, then it's like, you're not trying to win anymore because you're completely present in the moment, which is a great metaphor for life. You know, the more we're present, present, any moment, just the more enjoyable life is. And so it's no longer about winning. And what happens when people get in the zone is everything slows down. It's like slow motion. You know, every athlete in every sport talk about this and you're no longer trying to, um, to play the sport or trying to win. It's just a natural flow and it's just beautiful. That's awesome. But that's that's what you did. And then how did this translate into where you are today? Like you you started coaching people outside of tennis on meditation. Is that correct? So it's a long, long story. You know, I got involved in uh, spiritual studies in my mid-20s. And, you know, um, I, people getting such value out of what I was doing in the, on the tennis court saying, hey, this is affecting me in other areas of my life. So I decided man, we got to get this out to more people. So that's when I and a group of people started a magazine called Meditation Magazine, published it from 1985 to 1992. And, um, and from there, you know, I went into corporate management for a little while and then um, been doing what I'm doing now for 22 years. Um, Magic of the Soul came out then, later the, uh, the meditation book. And uh, so that's what I've been doing full time is speaking and doing a lot of uh, interviews like this and have a, you know, 
amazing uh, group of clients that just, uh, you know, I'm always fully booked, uh, just having a great time with that. And we've been doing the retreats, uh, by the way, the Primal Fire Spiritual Awakening Retreats for 30 years. And uh, we've been doing the last six years on Catalina Island on a private beach was just, just amazing for four days. I love that. We'll probably talk We'll probably talk about that in a second because I, I love retreats and I love the things that can come out of them. Um, one of the things I want to ask about meditation, if people are listening to this and they're like, I've had a really hard time with meditation or I've started and then I've stopped. You were sharing with me that you had a couple couple things that have really changed the game for people when they're trying to break through meditation. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that? And for those of yeah. you listening... If you want to try, we are we have a treat for you at the end of this. We're going to do a short meditation. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. So yeah. And it's a short meditation that I just developed very recently in the last year that I use every morning and is just the most powerful way to still the mind and go into that place of bliss, is what was which is what we all want in meditation. Um, so number one, I define meditation not as the act of being in still mind or quiet mind, but, but cycling in and out of still mind because everything in life goes in cycles. So if I'm defining meditation as being in still mind, I'm probably going to feel like I'm, I'm failing most of the time because what everyone who meditates experiences is this analytical mind, the monkey mind that comes in and wants to uh, be in charge most of the time. Um, and so I'm going to feel like I'm failing. But if I define it as moving in and out, then as long as I'm in, in still mind or quiet mind or peace for one second, I'm doing it right. And then the, the, the more I do it, just like anything else that we practice, the longer the, the, the moments of still mind become and the shorter the amount of time there is in monkey mind. And, um, and just like anything that we exercise, you know, exercise a muscle, it gets stronger and stronger. Um, the other the other tip that I was sharing with you is, and this is the most powerful one that I find for people, is whatever thought or feeling or sensation comes in that I might think is a distraction in meditation, I consider it as um, I invite it in. This is a perfect metaphor for life because everything that, you know, I say this 20 times a, a week, in, in my coaching sessions and workshops and classes that whatever, anything that we resist, not only persists, but magnifies, whatever we embrace becomes our ally, our teacher and our healer. So as soon as I invite in a thought, then it becomes part of the meditation, you know, and it dissolves quite quickly. If I'm resisting it or thinking I got to get rid of this thought, or, you know, in mindfulness meditation, we observe it. And that's, that's much more, that's much better than resisting it. But what I find in is, again, a metaphor for life. We invite things in, and then they become our ally and our teacher. So let's talk a little bit about that. Because I think when I know when I've tried meditation, I will sit there and I try to observe my thoughts. I usually do okay for a while. And then one of them pops out and I end up like going down a rabbit hole and thinking about something and fixating on it. I would say that would be inviting it in, but it doesn't go away for me. Correct my thought process on that. How should I be thinking about that? Well, when we do the meditation at the end, um, which isn't specifically about this, but I'll bring that little reminder in and, and just actually see how you experience it. Um, mm -hmm. 
So let me see. So when, you know, I would say that, you know, when, when, when we, when I go off on, on a tangent, right. Or go down a rabbit hole, then, you know, sometimes, and the more I practice it again, the more I'm exercising that muscle, the, the quicker I will recognize because what happens when I'm down a rabbit hole is I'm now unconscious about the fact that I'm down a rabbit hole. Right. So Mm -hmm. um, the more I practice meditation, the quicker I can, I can spot that and invite it in to be part of the, the, the peace and the bliss and the love that I'm experiencing. And I, I guess I would say that it really is. That's why it's such a, a powerful um, metaphor for life is the better I get at meditation, the more conscious I am during the meditative process um, as a metaphor for life, the more conscious I can be on a hour to hour, minute to minute basis in my daily living. And that's the awesome. point of meditation, by the way, is not to just feel peace, um, you know, for the 15, 20 minutes, however long I'm meditating, but for that to be a, to, you know, I like to meditate in the morning. I think most people get more out of it that way because now you're setting the tone for the day and it's really to then maintain that state of peace, um, you know, throughout the day until my next meditation, right? So talk to me a little bit about that. That's the other question that I think a lot of people say, you know, well, I'd love to meditate. I'd love a little bit more peace in my life. I'd love to feel a little bit more grounded. What are some of the outcomes that you see people having? Because I think it's interesting that you, the tennis piece, because that's a very active piece, right? The visualization, you're trying to get into a peak state through meditation. So if you wouldn't mind talking about that a little bit, what are some of the outcomes that that you see your clients get and why should people practice meditation it like in the morning? I like that for sure. Cause if you're doing it in the morning, you're setting up your whole day. How right. has this created some change and what are the big changes that you see? You know, I'm glad you said that. And, and it inspires me to say this before I completely answer that question is <clears throat> one of the things I offer to people is um, if you don't meditate at all, this is the simplest way to start three minutes a day. And just simply sit down and visualize your day, how you want it to go, right? That's a more active meditation as opposed to receptive meditation where we're just going into bliss. And it's easier to start out with some kind of focus, right? And Mm -hmm. so so what we're doing then is visualizing a day, focusing on what we want to accomplish. And more importantly, how do do I want to accomplish with what kind of spirit, what kind of energy, what qualities? with peace, with love, with creativity, with vibrancy, whatever it might be, and visualize that happening through the day. So if you're already meditating, as I do for 20, 30 minutes a day, then I say that the most powerful part of my meditation is when I just go into bliss. Most important part of my meditation is when I simply visualize my day. And for these days, when I meditate this morning, it's I'm going to have fun with my client this morning. I'm going to have fun doing this podcast today. It's really just about having fun all day, right? Um, So to answer your question, um, you know, the very first, this takes me back to the very first interview I had probably, gosh, that must have been almost 40 years ago. And I was interviewed about meditation and I was asked the same question. What do you get out of meditation? And what came to me instantly is, you know, it's easier to, to tell what I don't get when I don't meditation, when I don't meditate. Because if I, Mm -hmm. back then, I mean, now I meditate, you know, 
at least five days a week, hardly ever miss. But I might have gone a month or two without meditating back in my 20s. And what I would notice is, oh, I don't feel as peaceful. I don't feel as grounded. I feel more reactive. And so what came to me is that perhaps meditation is the act of remembering, remembering who I really am, remembering the truth about me, remembering that that is my true and natural state is peace and love and light and all these positive qualities. I love that. The, um, I think I, my, I guess I would say I do a more active meditation. Um, I, I spend like between five and 10 minutes in the morning and I do kind of what you're talking about. I visualize my goals for the year, where I want to be. And then I go through my day the same way. I try to set a positive intention for the day. And I think the days that I miss that are the days that, and I don't miss very often, but when I do, I definitely notice that things do not go. I don't, I don't know that they would say they're problematic. They're probably just not as smooth. And I love the idea of getting back to who you are. Like when I share what I do with people around like goals and visualization, right? Like, where do I want to be in a year? Like, that's a goal. It, it is like the best version of myself because that is where that's like the goal that I've spent a lot of conscious time and energy planning and mapping and thinking about. Um, so it's interesting. How do you, my question around that is if you're meditating in a more passive state, and not doing it actively, what do you think, how, like, I'm just trying to put this into contextual mm. form for the people that are skeptical of it. What do you mm. think, how does that manifest? Like what things will manifest in their life? How does it feel maybe when you're leaving it? Maybe that's a good. It's a great question. And this might get kind of abstract because when we go into that, <clears throat> that bliss, that place of just pure non-thinking, which isn't for very long in my meditation, quite frankly. I mean, it might be sometimes for 30 seconds, right? I mean, that's a mm -hmm. long time to ha not have a thought for a human being. In The Magic of the Soul, I say, why is it the most difficult thing for a human being to do is nothing, right? Um, so, uh, you know, um, but when I go, when we, I go into that state, and I've, I've, a very few times in my life gone maybe three minutes without a thought. And that's when, you know, the Eastern philosophy and religion talk about samadhi, where we're just in pure bliss, right? And so what happens in those moments, and there's all kinds of research on this, right? How uh, it affects health, it affects productivity, um, affects our ability to learn, all these positive mm -hmm. things that comes out of meditation. Um, but most of all, it's just it's ecstasy, you know, I would describe it as um, when, when I just go into pure bliss and I no longer have a thought and it's, I mean, that one, one of the ways I describe it in the magic of the soul, I wonder if I could find that uh, passage really quick just to read it to you, but I'll just do it off the top of my head is that, you know, one day I was meditating that, that, that time I was in three minutes and I found myself with tears and other people have described it this way, just streaming down my face because it's so beautiful to go beyond one's self-identification and into identification as the one. I mean, people in metaphysical and in, in mystical experiences describe just being one with all things, one with all life. 
That's just the ultimate consciousness, right? And so when I achieve that, how do I, and, and to put that in practical terms of how it affects me in life, it's, it's holistic. It's, you know, when I am, when I, when I can access that experience of being one with all things, then it changes. It's a game changer, changes everything. Right. Um, uh, you know, uh, one thing I'll say is, is it, it is it brings me into what Eastern philosophy talks about. It's non-attachment, right? Mm -hmm. and I tell you, this is what I emphasize in my coaching and my teaching is that the more non-attached I am in life to, um, to the outcome of my intentions and my goals, the easier it is to manifest my goals. Um, because if I have any degree of attachment, then there's going to be some degree of fear that what I want to happen won't happen or what I don't want to happen will happen. And, and so whatever degree of fear there is, I'm putting negative energy into that you know, possibility, into that potential. When I am at least relatively non-attached, then... Um, it's such a weird dichotomy and, and life is a dichotomy is the less I care about something, the more power I have to create it. Hey, thanks for taking a moment to check out this episode of Grow Your Impact, Income and Influence, the number one show helping you reach millions. Have you ever thought about building your own webinar or using public speaking to reach your ideal audience? Well, if you'd like my help with it, over the last several years, I have built more than 40 live events for clients just like you. In the last 18 months, I've helped 32 entrepreneurs build their webinar with over $5 million in cumulative sales. If you'd like to see how I can work with you, or if you'd be interested in having me speak at your event or be on your podcast, go to steven.coffee, that's S-T-E-V-E-N.C-O-F-F-E-E, -E -E, to book a short call with me and see how we can work together. All right, let's jump back to the episode. That's so I think that is a that's a really powerful thought. And I would agree. The if you can if you can maintain maintain detachment, like a healthy detachment, like I want that, I'm putting it out there, and now I'm moving forward and and like I know that it will head towards me, like I know I'll attract it. That's the times that you see it happen. But when you're focused on it, you're usually focused on why you don't have something or why something isn't working exactly. out. And you're in a state of lack. The I want to compare this to the tennis analogy earlier. So like you've heard of flow state. So anyone listening, I think probably knows what that is. You're being so involved with something that you're in that state. And it, it really is. I mean, you reach that. I think I reach that running. I've reached that snowboarding. I've reached that surfing. Um, I see you have surfing in your background there. You probably understand that. Like, that's like a moment where it's like, it's just you and what you're doing. And it's like free flow. But I think what you're saying is even a little bit different in meditation. I don't know if you care to, to speak to that because of the tennis analogy. Yeah, well, I'll bring it back to tennis, you know, and I, I still play competitively today, USDA tennis. And, you know, I, I like to say that I used to play against my opponent and now I, I play tennis against my own attachment to winning. Right. So because it's that weird dichotomy again is the less I care about winning, the better I play. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and I love competition as well because it helps me strive to be better. <clears throat> But, you know, I um, lost a match uh, just last week to somebody 11-9 um, in the, in the uh, super tiebreaker, we call it. And that's about as close as you can get. 
And, uh, and I just rejoiced. It was so much fun. He's a better player than me. And the fact that I even came that close was great. So I never, uh, you know, it used to be, I was so competitive that if I lost, I, I was, I was upset. Right. And nowadays, not at all. I mean, I interviewed Swami Satchidananda for Meditation Magazine. And I don't even think he knew I was a, a, a tennis player or maybe intuited it, but he used a little analogy and said, if you're playing tennis and you lose, then you get to experience the joy of the reflection of the other person's, you know, uh, joy in winning. And so I feel that now it's like when the other person wins, I get to celebrate for them. Right. So, um, but you know, uh, you know, when, when I'm in that flow in tennis, as I said before, you know, when I was teaching and it was so much fun because I would be, you know, teaching people the mechanics of playing tennis. But as soon as we get into that zone, I didn't have to say a word because now we're in the flow together and, and we're no longer competing against each other. We're now supporting each other in just being in the most magical experience we can have in this moment. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's, that's really good. So if somebody's listening to this, and they're like, I don't know how to detach myself from my goals or from winning, or yeah. from anything, right? Any outcome mm -hmm. that they want? Do you have a suggestion for them? Or do you have some tips? Because I've heard people say this before. And I don't know how I do it. I just know that I, I set the intention, I just say, like, I'm going to go about my day. This is my clear intention and I'm releasing that and I'm not going to fixate on it. I'm just going to go about and I try to be in as much flow state as possible. But I, I hear people struggle with detachment a lot. So do you have a few tips or maybe a method to let it go? Yeah. And first off, I call, I call it non-attachment, not detachment, because detachment feels more like I'm not of this world, right? I, I just like the term non-attachment better because detached, I'm completely detached. Non-attachment is I'm in it, but I don't have any, you know, angst or energy about it. So it's a practice. And just like anything else, it's not about being perfect. You know, if we're in human form, um, I don't think anyone is non-attached 100% of the time. Um, but as I say in The Magic of the Soul, the most powerful consciousness for manifestation is being really clear what we want speaking my our intention into the you know into the the unconscious the subconscious mind um into the universal presence and being at least relatively non-attached to how when or if it occurs so the practice is just anytime i notice myself and the beautiful thing about being a human being is we have this wonderful biofeedback device that we call our emotions or our feelings. And so um, when I feel angst or upset or any uncomfortable emotion, it means there's attachment there. And so that can be the cue or the reminder then to simply let go and to trust. The opposite of attachment is trust, to trust that everything is going to work out all the time. I love that quote, um, from I guess it's a an East Indian quote, and if anyone saw that movie, my favorite exotic marigold hotel, you know the um, did you see that one? And so yeah. you know the story is that he has this this uh, hotel that he markets to these people in England to come and retire, and people get there and they said, and they're all upset because you photoshopped the hotel. It's not what it was. Everything's broken down. And so people are complaining to him all the time and, and he's and coming to him and he says in this is East Indian accent that um, 
what we say in India is if it's not all right, uh, that everything will be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not yet the end, right? So everything is going to be all right in the end. So it's about trust, you know, and the, the magic of the soul, um, this book that I wrote 20 years ago, um, it's used by Centers for Spiritual Living, by the way, as, as curriculum. So it's being taught all the time, um, all over the world. And the message in it is um, that, yes, it's manifest. It's magical to manifest what we want. What is even more magical is to appreciate what we have, and especially the the most challenging things in life. Because as human beings, if we are conscious at all, and we look back at our most challenging times, those are the times when we learn the most. Those are the times when we grew the most. And so, you know, the message in the book is don't wait until you're seeing it in retrospect, but, but what's the magic that wants to emerge from this challenging situation. And that practicing that is what naturally brought me to um, an experience of greater and greater non-attachment life. Hope that answers your question. Yeah, that's a, that's good. I like it. So we've covered a lot. We've talked about meditation. We've talked about sports. We've talked about detachment. I think the next step is just going to be for people to experience it a little bit. So do you have anything you want to say before you can do the meditation? Yeah, one more thing. The most important thing I like to share with people, um, mm-hmm. what is it? What has come to me in my, you know, 47 years of meditation um, and, and, and my own personal evolution through that is that the most uh, the, the, the secret to life is simply living from an inner experience of freedom and joy and all spiritual qualities. It's an inside out game. You know, we tend to think as human beings when, you know, I get that better job, when I have more money, when I find my the relationship, when my health is better, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be joyful. But it's always the other way around because there are all kinds of studies that show that uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you a quick, quick one. Dan, uh, Dan Gilbert has a great Ted talk and, and he asked this question at the beginning of it. Um, he says, you know, this is an easy uh, question to answer. Would you rather win the lottery $20 million or become a quadriplegic? Right. Easy question to answer. Um, but then he says, would you might find it interesting to find that in almost all cases, 10 years later, when you interview people that have won the lottery, they're no more happy than they were 10 years before. And in almost all cases, people who become quadriplegics are, are no less happy than they were 10 years before when they became, uh, before they became a quadriplegic. So that's just evidence that happiness, joy is an inside out game. So rather mm-hmm. than waiting uh, assuming I'll be more happy in the future when something happens, simply, simply uh, continue to nurture and expand an inner experience of joy right here and right now. Um, I'll include that in the meditation that we're going to, we're going to do as well. Awesome. Okay. All right. The, how, how do we need to set this up? Is there anything people need to do? Um, no, we'll just close our eyes in a moment, but do you want to just do the promotional stuff first and then people can end with meditation? Yeah, of course. Um, where talk to me about, so yeah, if you want to find out, 
find out more about what we do here is livingpurposeinstitute.com, livingpurposeinstitute.com. <clears throat> um, you can find my books on Amazon and Kindle, you know, uh, paperback and audio. <clears throat> Gosh, we sell a lot more audio books now than, than anything else. Everybody um, loves Audible. So we will link all of these in the show notes underneath. Um, if you would like to check them out, we will link, we'll probably link the uh, the Amazon page and we will link your website. Cool. All right. So we'll do just a quick meditation and, and uh, you know, you can uh, just continue on uh, even longer. I'll, I'll bring in a couple of the, the tips that we've talked about. Um, and this most powerful practice that I find for moving to still mind. <clears throat> um, so let me, let's just close our eyes, take a nice deep healing breath. And just continue to breathe deeply for a couple moments. We're going to just start with that. Um, can you simply feel joy right now? Can you simply feel peace right now? Can you simply feel unconditional love right now? And here's a way to, to invite that in. Think about a child that you love, a person that you love, a, a favorite pet that you love, a moment in time when you were feeling joy. And you've just done it. You feel joyful right now. So can you feel joy right now? Can you feel joy right now in the next moment, in the next moment? And that's the practice, just to continue this, not only in meditation, but in daily life. So I'll bring in this most powerful technique. And this is using both auditory, visual, and kinesthetic experience. So begin by just imagining and visualizing the most intense crystal white light that you can imagine. And this crystal white light is so powerful that in order to experience it, you must surrender into it. And you're completely surrounded and infused with this most brilliant crystal white light. So that's the visual. And now bring the kinesthetic into it. Feel the vibration, the frequency of this most brilliant crystal white light and feel yourself surrendering into that vibration. And now we bring in the auditory. See if there's a sound or a tone that represents this most brilliant crystal white light. For me, it's just a extended awe sound sung in the voices of angels, but whatever tone comes to you, so now see if you can combine all three, the visualization of crystal white light, the vibration, the frequency of energy, and the tone. And now just allow this experience to pull you in so that you're not, no longer trying to visualize or hear or feel, but just let the experience of crystal white light, of pure spirit energy pull you in so that you're no longer meditating but crystal white light or pure spirit energy is meditating you just surrender just 
turn over, turn it over to spirit. Just dissolving self-identification into identification with the one. Pure light, pure love, pure peace. If you notice any thoughts, feelings, sensations, sounds coming into your experience, simply invite them in, assuming that this thought is coming forward because it wants to experience this pure bliss, pure peace, pure crystal white light. Fight it in to meditate with you. See if it just easily and effortlessly dissolves into the peace. And so people can just continue to meditate with us as long as they want. And if we want to have any closing words, we can do that. That is, that is great. On that note, you can continue meditating. You can re-listen to this podcast. You can definitely find Dr. Patrick in the show notes. Um, if you enjoyed this, I highly recommend checking out his website and his book. Um, and until next time, take action, change lives, and make money. We'll see you soon. Are you looking to scale your business but trying to figure out how to get your message across? Well, go to storyselling.how to grab my free course that will show you how to discover everything that you need to build your business through stories. These stories work whether it's in social media, email, or public speaking. There are five core stories that you'll learn. You'll be able to use all of them by the time you're done with this course. Again, that is storyselling.how. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to tune in next time.